Good morning. Thank you, Brian. Thank you, everyone. It's so good to see you. I haven't really been away. I was just away uh, last week or the week before. I've been here this week preparing, uh, getting ready for today. But we were uh, on the coast. I conducted the wedding for a nephew on the beach on the 12th and then Shelley and I have some cousins that live on the coast and since they were in Canada they let us stay at their place so we we basically did nothing which was uh, really quite a vacation so it's uh, but we miss you and <clears throat> it's never more apparent to me how much at least I appreciate worship with you when we worship like that and how it lifts the heart you know in the word you worship and your heart is lifted and your mind is taken to the higher places of God to his riches to his majesty to the beautiful things that he introduces to our lives but there's something special when we do it together. There's a volume and a sense of dimension to it. It's, uh, it's pretty special. And uh, it just reminds me how an idea can be such a powerful thing. <laughs> you know, sometimes a friend says, what a great idea. You know, there's just that moment where you kind of see things differently and you're given focus, and you're energized, and even drawn together into something that uh, you share, and that moves you in the same direction. Ideas can be a powerful thing. I remember uh, the story of Archimedes. An idea came to him as he was slipping into his bathtub. And he got so excited, so energized, that he jumped out and ran down the streets naked, sing, saying, Eureka! I've found it! I've got it! That's what the word Eureka means. When you say Eureka, you're actually pronouncing Greek. I've found it. I've got it. I've discovered it. Plato said, Ideals, ideas rule the world speaking probably of their influence, their ability to inspire and to sway people. Indeed, ideas can transform the way we live and think, even ignite great reforms. Adam Degorowski of Polish descent immigrated to the United States in the 19th century in 1857, he published a book on America. And in the opening, he said, America is unique among nations because other nations are accidents of geography or race. But America is based on an idea. Ideas have power. Ideas can change minds, unite people, move people start great movements. 
Some 50 years ago, philosopher Thomas Kuhn coined the term paradigm shift to speak of the moment when our worldview fundamentally changes because of a new idea. I know theology, when you hear the word theology, it kind of brings to mind things that are really lofty and complicated, thorny and intricate. It can be kind of a scary word, but theology is really the revelation of God's ideas being discussed and thought about and seen in new ways as they're applied to our lives. The truths of the Bible are God's ideas revealed. The church is God's idea, God's new idea. In fact, in verses 2 and 3 of 1 Corinthians, Paul says to the Corinthians, don't imagine God's church through the eyes of your former experience. Don't see what God's doing using the patterns, the footprints, the experiences of what you've had in the past. This is a new thing. This is God's church, and it's from God, animated by the Holy Spirit. That's why in verse 1 of chapter 12, he says, on this issue of spiritual things, I know it translates it spiritual gifts, but it's actually spiritual things. It's broader than just the manifestations or giftings of the Spirit that operate in our lives as members of the church. He starts off a little broader as he talks about spiritual things. And that is important because in the church we want spiritual things, we want spiritual matters. We've had enough of the secular things and secular matters. That's what fills our life. That's why when we worship together, there's a different tone and spirit and quality to it. We may not even enter into it in the right spirit, but it captures us. It lifts us up. It takes us places we couldn't go otherwise. We want a spirit-filled church. We want a Spirit-led church. That's God's idea. That's His plan, His purpose. And we're all to be caught up in it, inspired by it, motivated by it, energy, energized by it, driven, called to greater things by the church. In this one chapter, Paul makes reference to the Spirit 
13 times. 13 times. The Holy Spirit is the breath of the church. In fact, the the word spirit, and I'm, I'm, I'm sure you've You've heard this, that the very word spirit in the Greek language, which identifies the Spirit of God, is also the word for human breath, or the wind that even can create a storm. It's animated. It's not, it's not stagnant. It's moving. It's pulsing. It's never at rest. It is the Spirit that breathes in us and in His church. Before we read this chapter, and I have given this little uh, preamble, because when we read it, I want you to notice the emphasis on the Spirit. But before we read it together, there are three things I want to highlight. It's very important, and I hope to show us this this morning, that the church is the pinnacle. It is the zenith. It is the Everest of God's work on earth in history. I'll bet you don't think about the church that way. And you might say, well, John, you're going to have to prove that to me. Well, the church is the very body of Christ. It is created out of the unique and essential and one-of-a-kind work of Jesus Christ. It is the product of his ministry, his death, and his resurrection. It It is the Spirit of God which is poured out, poured out upon the ascension to validate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The Spirit, the promise of God, the Father, which Jesus foretold when he said to his disciples at the end, for example, in Luke 24, and then in the opening of Acts 1, wait for the baptism of the Spirit. We're to be immersed in this spirit, which Paul speaks of right here in chapter 12. The spirit is the power. In fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, we call it the resurrection chapter. And I hope you're reading in 1 Corinthians. You've got to, to absorb what the spirit wants to say to you through his word and through this letter through these truths, these earth-shaking ideas.
Jesus is contrasted with the first Adam in 1 Corinthians 15.45. The first Adam, going back to Genesis 1 and 2, the creation of the human being in his image. God breathed and he became a living being. Chapter 2. But when Paul talks about the resurrection, he's talking about our resurrection and the, the pattern, the prototype for our new existence. And it is a new existence because it's contrasted with the first Adam. And Jesus, in verse 45, is called the last Adam, life-giving spirit. And then Paul through the rest up to verse 58, is contrasting the earthling and the heavenly, the terrestrial and the celestial, the earthy and the heavenly, the spiritual that is ours in Christ. So I want us to appreciate. In fact, just jot this down. I wish we had the time to read it. Read all of, for example, Ephesians 2, 1 through 11. Or if you can't read the whole chapter, not, I said 1 through 11, excuse me, 1 through 22. And if you can't read the whole chapter, start reading at verse 14 to the end. And then jump to the next chapter and read verses 9, 10, and 11, where Paul talks about the church being the revelation of a great mystery. Because this is God's idea. Read 1 Peter 2, verses 4 and 5. And note when he talks about both Paul and Peter, Paul calls us living stones. not particle board. Living stones. Breathing stones. Constructed on the foundation, not just of the apostles, but the prophets. Being built into a holy temple. The very breath and life of which that temple is the Holy Spirit the very breath of God, poured out because of this one-of-a-kind experience in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ and his exaltation to the right hand of the Father and his continuing work and life and existence breathing through you and me through what is called the community, the body the church. Here's the second thing. Don't let tired, ugly, and very human ideas or experiences of the church and about the church defeat you, discourage you, dispirit you from who you, whom you are to be in Christ and to be to the body, the community, the church. Don't let what it hasn't become 
or what it isn't here or isn't there or isn't in the experience or the eyes of somebody else? Defeat, discourage, or dispirit you from living in the power of the Holy Spirit and walking in the newness of life and realizing that God wants to do great things through you. Maybe if just you realized who you are in Christ, and instead of being deflated by someone else, you let out, you ministered, you did what Paul is doing to the Corinthians right here. What if Paul said, you know, I'm just these cranky, carnal Christians, these people who don't get it, who don't have an idea. What if he just said, I just can't take it anymore. The church is a big failure. No, he's gripped by these truths. He's changed by these ideas. And they, he can't escape them. There's nothing else out there like it. There's no ideas to replace this beautiful description of God's idea of a new humanity. A new existence in Jesus Christ. I read a three-part series of articles this week. Millennials are 18 to 30-year-olds, 18 to 29-year-olds, and it was a three-part article explaining, and the title was, Why are millennials, why are 18 to 29-year-olds leaving the church in droves? Droves! Man, that's a, that's a painful word to my heart. Why are they leaving the church in droves? And there's statistics and all kinds of stats and information. But the number one fundamental, I mean, when you boiled it all down, 18 to 29-year-olds are leaving the churches in the church in droves because they just don't see Jesus there. They see a bunch of humanness, petty, trivial things, gossip. Not this church, of course, but you know. Do you know how many years I've been in ministry? Over 40. Yeah, I started when I was five. But. I am just as excited and energized. Why? Why am I not beat up and bruised? Why am I, with my tail tucked between my legs, why am I not crawling off into a corner saying, woe is me? Because I'm inspired and energized by this truth. And it drives me each and every day. 
And it's changing the way we think about who we are and do church. We are the church. What we do is church. It is the community. It is the new humanity. The way we love one another, forgive each other, show mercy and grace, do the things Jesus did. And when we do them together, it shows the world. I know the whole world isn't looking in on us, but there are people who look in on us and they say, I see Jesus there. And that's what people want to see. They want to know he's real. He's risen. And they aren't going to see it when we're discouraged and defeated and deflated and dispirited because somebody didn't do it first for us. Or we were let down by somebody else. My goodness, folks. How faithful, how enduring, how long-suffering is our Lord with us. Just as his love is the love we show to others and his forgiveness is the forgiveness we show to others, his endurance and his patience is what we show to each other. And a third thing I want to say, catch God's idea and let the Holy Spirit lead you in belonging and serving and contributing to what God desires to do through the church. I don't run naked through the streets, but God's idea really does enable me. And I know God's idea enables you to lead, to serve, to be Jesus. That's what the Spirit does. Manifest Jesus, breathe Jesus in us. The Spirit is the continuation of Jesus. That's why in John, read chapter 14, 15, and 16 of the Gospel of John again and just notice what he has to say to his disciples as he's anticipating his departure. He says, in fact, in chapter 16, verse 7, it is to your benefit that I go away that another may come, the helper. And that helper does nothing but cause us to experience Jesus in a way that even his disciples in his presence could not experience him. That's why J.D. Greer, a Bible scholar, wrote a book called Jesus Continued. And the theme of the book was the spirit within us is better than Jesus beside us. And that's by God's plan. Now you put all that power together because we know two heads are better than one. And that's really the theme and the thrust of what Paul is saying here in 1 Corinthians 12. Let's read it together. Starting at verse 1. Now concerning spiritual matters or things, including gifts, Brothers, sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, 
you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says, Jesus is accursed. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except in the Holy Spirit. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in every one. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another, the utterance of knowledge, and to another, and to another, the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, the ability to distinguish between spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered, animated, energized by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. For just as the body is one and has many members, limbs, organs, and all the members, limbs, and organs of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Messiah. That's what he says. That's what Christ means. So it is with Messiah. Isn't that beautiful? For in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, limb, or organ, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make any, it any less a part of the body. That, and if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body. That would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. That's humbling to think, isn't it? If we were to be aware of that, 
If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. And those parts, again, he uses the word members, organs, limbs, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think are less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members, the organs and the limbs, may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now, you are the body of the Messiah. And individually, members, limbs, and organs of it. And God has appointed to the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? The answer is expected, no. Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the higher gifts. And I will show you a more excellent way. And that more excellent way is love which makes sense out of all of this. Just for a moment, don't you just kind of feel your body tingle a little bit in spiritual ways? Yeah, yeah. That's so beautiful. That's what I want in my home. That's what I want to represent in my workplace in my neighborhood. I want that to energize me this week. And it can when you walk in the Spirit. Are we all that we should be? I mean, you look around and you think, oh, that's a pretty lot. That's a castle on a hill, man. <laughs> We're way down here in the valley. I don't know. Maybe that's... Uh, just our secular way of perceiving things, engaging success and evaluating accomplishment and great achievement. I see that kind of thing happening a lot between people, people in this room, the weaker and the stronger, and then in reverse. I see it 
in lives being changed. People being turned on by the Lord and his word, his new ideas. And not just ideas of human ingenuity, but power because he has conquered death in the resurrection and poured out his spirit, his world-creating, life-resurrecting spirit. And the spirit wants to pulse and throb and breathe and move in you. Don't grieve it. As Paul says, we're wont to do. Don't quench it. That fire that stirs the air as we are sometimes wont to do. Just one person here. I, I, was, I was just a kid when I came to Christ. Nineteen. What did I know? And God got a hold of me. And because I keep turning to him, he keeps getting a hold of me as I respond to him. And I know that's true of you. Don't lose this big idea. Don't run naked through the streets. That would give the wrong idea. But leap and run in the Lord to the things that he's already given you to do with new fire and inspiration and hope. Realizing he's doing things that you can't calculate. Why is it all has to be boiled down to our human comprehension for us to say, yes, it's worth it and God's doing something. How many times have you looked back over your life and thought, wow, I see God's hand in a way that in the moments I couldn't see him at all. I, I know it's that poem, that story about footsteps, footprints in the sand. Yeah, we're sophisticated now. It's kind of corny, but it still gets me. Where were your footsteps? No, I was carrying you. That's why there was only one set of footsteps. Sometimes we feel in the moment, today maybe, right here, something dragged you to church. You came in exhausted. That's why we get together. We breathe together in Christ. And it inspires us again to the truths that inform the way we see the world and interpret the world and choose to find meaning and create meaning and be used of God to do things that make a difference in our world. And you'll never know the ripples and the ramifications of what you do in the Spirit today except by virtue of the truth of God's Word, that He is risen. There's an eternal purpose and plan. 
So quit letting the world dictate your view of his church, your life, your meaning, your purpose. And get out there and do something for Christ and tell people about him. Will you stand with me? I'm going to close in prayer. I didn't preach the rest of my sermon. Maybe we'll do that another time. I thought the word kind of spoke for itself this morning. I want to pray for us and we'll go. Go from here maybe to other things uh, in the worship of the Lord today, but we go from here and continue to worship Him in our work shoes and gloves and we continue to serve Him in ways that make a difference. His church is a community that isn't always geographically and spatially together, but it's always together because it's built and centered and grows out of one source, and that is our God in Jesus Christ through the power of His Holy Spirit. And so wherever we go, we're working in sync as the Spirit moves us and operates through us in ways that sometimes we don't realize is working in chorus and in concert under the mighty hand and baton of our conductor. So I'm going to pray for us, but if you would like to pray with me or others of the, from the pastoral staff, elders and their wives, uh, we're going to be down here afterward. You come and pray, and then let's go out there for the Lord. Father, thank you for your word. It speaks so powerfully to us. Thank you for the moving of your spirit. You have witness of your spirit, your breath pulsing in us, in our hearts, sparking our minds to greater things, your greater things. We love you, Lord. We know these truths. They are great. You are great. And we love you in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, God bless you.